Mini episode 1363 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1363. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here with my close personal friend, FDH Lounge Dignitary Jake Digman, also our FDH MMA editor and the world's greatest MMA ring announcer. This is part two of our discussion looking at the state of the industry at a very pivotal time in August of uh, 2021, a real, we're at the precipice of an enormous crossroads, as Little Carmine once said on The Sopranos, when you look at the WWE and uh, AEW. Our previous discussion was about AEW. We now look at the WWE side. So much for leaving the best for last in this discussion here, but uh, this is, was originally going to be centered on, around the fact that SummerSlam's coming up, and we will touch on that and what will probably be the last glorious takeover, probably ever. Uh, assuming that it is glorious uh, in this climate, but uh, yes, it's not going to be with him on the uh, the card there, uh, as he's on the main I roster. Think I do this. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably a copyright strike against me right there, but uh, you know. <laughs> I hope not. You know what? This will this will be a good test of the YouTube algorithm right now because uh, they get. I, I'm having to use the most generic music in the world for bumpers right now, Jake. I tell you, man, you can't even get away with uh, playing hardly anything these days. And, oh yeah, oh it's 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 depressing. Yeah, it's depressing the way that that's going. Much like the WWE product. So you know, it, it it's a it's a very you know. It all kind of ties in for this kind of uh, doom and gloom segment. We were just talking about off-air and crapping on the concept of uh, Goldberg wrestling for the world title against Lashley and what's going to be a pointless match between two guys that are a combined probably about, what, 95 years old, apparently, and uh, just what a, what a garbage match that is going to be. And not a garbage match in the case of, like, a Nick Gage match. I just literally mean a hot pile of garbage uh, between two guys that are not going to have the cardio to go more than five minutes in any kind of form or fashion. Uh, the first three rows will probably pass out from uh, oxygen deprivation once these guys start sucking wind. And then you got uh, John Cena going up against Roman Reigns, and what is a huge match there, but uh, John Cena going for title number 17, and the announcers are not going to probably reference in this climate whose record he's breaking here at number 16 uh, as Ric Flair will probably be getting the same treatment as his one-time Four Horsemen colleague, Chris Benoit, as far as having his name mentioned on air. Wow. <laughs> I mean, they can clearly mention his name on the air. Uh, Dunn, Charlotte's dad. True. Hello. True. <laughs> and John Cena attempted to break Charlotte Flair's dad's record. Yes, yes. That's probably what it'll yeah, that's be. That's all you gotta do. Just, yeah, you know. Use it, use it to get her but, over. You know, which, again... Uh, 
you know, that's they, 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 they've been using Ric Flair for nothing more than to try to get her over the last couple of years anyways, as, as she's been Triple H reincarnated with the golden shovel burying everyone else in her path. Listen to me sound like Smart Mark circa 03 as I talk about Charlotte Flair. But, wow, uh, your tune has changed from our last recording to this one. This is going to be fun. <laughs> well, Jake, <laughs> you went from optimistic wrestling and fun to, I hate this stuff, why am I here? <laughs> Jake, we go from a promotion that I truly love and cherish in AEW to talking about this crap with an over-the-hill Vince McMahon in there and, and destroying the only part of WWE that me and you found enjoyable, which was the you know, the treasure of the super indie within, NXT. Now, granted, I wasn't paying as close of attention to NXT when I was up against AEW. I would go back and forth a little bit, but honestly, I was giving NXT the short shrift on that the more that I grew to love AEW. But NXT, I've been watching it more on Tuesdays once it was unopposed. And uh, again, the jewel of the company. Now, that's not saying much, but creatively speaking, and as far as, you know, entertaining matches and storylines and everything else like that, Ironically, the, the the brand looked upon as developmental, so much more entertaining to me than Raw or SmackDown. And to me, SmackDown's better than Raw. I don't I don't equate Raw and SmackDown, but I, I'm I'm more than tired of the Roman Reigns thing on top on on SmackDown. It's going to be a year of him on top at SummerSlam. The inevitability that he's going to hold the title until WrestleMania, and this is a thing where, again, as you look at it, it, it just is it the, you, you talked about it in our AEW discussion that you're finding the thing with the elite to be a little bit kind of dragging on and kind of endless and whatever. And, and I agree with you on that. I agree with you on the whole elite reign of terror in AEW. It's time to move on to something else. But at least you know they will at some point. With the WWE, you're always hostage to the calendar of the next year's WrestleMania. And they're building to something with him and The Rock or God forbid this thing of like the rock and one of the Usos against Roman Reigns and one of the Usos talk about watering that thing down, but they might have to do it to make it palatable to rocks, Hollywood bosses. So whatever the match is going to be at WrestleMania at this point, I bemoaned to you when we did our WrestleMania coverage, Roman Reigns having the belt another year. And you said it's a match that doesn't need the belt. I agree with you, but the problem is, the old out-of-touch guy that runs the company doesn't agree with us, Jake, and he thinks that match is going to be watered down if Roman Reigns drops the title between now and Mania. This is saying between now and Mania, the old, I think the old man's even going to have the company in his hands. Who knows what's happening at this point? And, um, yeah, it is a... Huh. <laughs> it's like a tale of two cities, isn't it? It is. It is. I mean, and, and, and this is the company that's flush in money, purely off of the legacy of where they've been and the perception that they are the big leagues. Although, again, I would be terrified if I was working in that company there and if I was looking at the state of affairs and where things are going. And we'll talk about what you hinted about with the sale there. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. But what I want to bring up, and I, I hinted about this to you off air, as far as the pritchard Laurinaitis team coming back in to be Vince's right-hand men at the top. You look at, when you're looking at the upper echelon of the company these days, what do you see? Because in the entire era of, you know, NXT, since it morphed out of being the stupid game show format that it was, a reality show or whatever the hell you want to call it, to being an actual fed, uh, and, 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 and it was, it's basically been 
a time where they've brought in great workers from the Indies by and large, and the NXT era of 2013 forward has been really, really super. Two guys who were there at the very beginning of that, Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins. They're the only two real guys of importance, I think, in this entire era that are in big positions that are left out of that era. Maybe you could put Big E in there. He's somebody that they're putting a little bit more emphasis behind, maybe. But that era, they're about the sole representatives of it. You've got Moxley that went over to uh, AEW and any of the other ones who, who didn't stick in that position. You go back a couple of years. You go back to McIntyre and Lashley, and lo and behold, we're getting into when Bruce Pritchard was there the last time. These are guys that were there during... And I hinted at you when we were talking about Kyle Ross in the previous segment. I said, I'm going to reference something, that a term I used with Kyle. And that was, after the class of 02, I used to talk about that the WWE had the lost generation because they never developed any big stars out of the next several years. Now, they've made Lashley a bigger star now. So after a year or two of doing nothing with him and jobbing him out, they've made him a bigger star now than he was in 06, 07, uh, even when he had the uh, Donald Trump match at WrestleMania. Uh, you know, he was at WrestleMania this year as an actual world champion. So there is that. And, and McIntyre. And then the other big guys in the company, uh, Cena and Orton from the aforementioned class of 02. Brock Lesnar, when he comes back, class of 02. You've got Edge from the freaking Attitude Era. Are you seeing where I'm going with this? Is that hardly, yeah. hardly anybody from the last decade Hardly anybody passed the time when Pritchard was here, because Pritchard, I think, got fired in 08. So we're going back now mostly to guys who were around the last time Bruce Pritchard was here. And you're a company that is trying to be forward-looking and compete with a company that is creating new young stars like they're going out of style? If I was in the WWE looking at the future, I'd be terrified because they don't have the damnedest idea of how to make new stars right now, buddy. Well, I mean, we were just commenting a second ago about uh, the um, NXT was on, and I mean, I'd be terrified if I worked for what's going to be the future. Like, the edict they have laid out completely destroys the idea of what you had mentioned earlier of NXT being the super indie fed. Yeah. That it was, is the reason we all fell in love with it. So, okay, no more talent over 30. So anybody that has any experience that can work and provide some skill and, you know, I don't know about you, but, like, uh, I'm about to, uh, I'm in my, uh, I'm 39. I'll give full disclosure to the audience, okay? <laughs> so I'm 39. When I was in my 20s, I didn't know crap. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. It's, it's kind of like you kind of develop things, you learn things in your 30s, you master them in your 40s, and by the time you're in your 50s, you're like, okay, well, good. It's one of those things where it's like life is an interesting situation, and it's not a situation, but it's like how life works, especially like, you know, if you look back in the history of professional wrestling, the best professional wrestlers hit their stride in their 30s and their 40s. Yeah, that's when guys are like, you know, oh my God, you've gotten, you know, the you, you get the 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 green. I don't say green. What's the word I'm looking for here? You get the um, you gain experience. Okay, right. you gain experience, and you make it so much. It, it's 
Ric Flair won the 1992 Royal Rumble at 42 years old. Right. It's, I, I find it absolutely hilarious if this is true that Vince McMahon did an edict at no one under 30 when his entire main roster is almost over 40. Right, right, and it's it's a thing of like it just looks like it's going to be nothing but, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna use the phrase they won't use, big gym dummies, and at least in the wellness era now, post '07, post Benoit, at least we're talking about non-roided ones because the roid cases of the 2000s that they were bringing up, those big gym dummies, oh my God, some of the worst quote unquote workers you'd ever want to see. So at least the coordination factor is going to be a little bit better without the juice. But again, and they're looking at it, and they're probably making the justification of, well, Roman Reigns, he was the one guy that emerged over the last decade that wasn't an indie guy. Yeah, he was also what, like a third-generation freaking Samoan guy? Just because he wasn't on the indies, I mean, this is a guy that had wrestling in his blood. He might not have been out there doing indies, but this is a guy that was probably running the ropes as a kid at age six with his dad. So, you know, it, it's a thing where to, to think that any of these guys could emulate potentially the path of Roman Reigns uh, and go on to this. And the notion that all of these guys, this is apparently part of the edict also, you know, everybody we bring in has to be, you know, when we look at them, a potential WrestleMania main eventer. Well, what were we talking about with AEW? You have to have guys to fill spots up and down the card. And you have to have variety. And AEW is just teeming with variety right now. And in the WWE, if they're going to limit themselves to all guys who are potential WrestleMania main eventers when they look at them, uh, I mean, that's just completely ridiculous in, in that sense. Oh, man. Yeah. I cannot wait till Cameron Grimes main events WrestleMania. Yeah. Well, I, listen, I would pop for that. You know, I mean, again, I, I, I love most of the guys in NXT, but... You know, we, we referenced this, and uh, you, you had mentioned uh, during our AEW segment toward the end there, uh, getting your girlfriend to watch AEW with her with you, and uh, I have a soft spot uh, for her ever since I found out she was a fellow Keith Lee fan. Anybody who's a Keith Lee fan has very good taste, and it's a thing where, so again, he's one of my few favorites that I have in the company these days, and the way that they're jobbing him out on Raw, it's one of these things where it's almost like, the optimistic scenario is he's about at the end of his contract and they're jobbing him out, which normally you wouldn't want to see somebody get jobbed out. But if it's the thought of like, oh, my God, he could get paroled and go to AEW, you know, I mean, this is one of the guys they should be looking at building the company. Makes you around. Sad as a wrestling fan. It does. It does. And listen, I don't want to see a situation, believe it or not, in, in all of this. Right. I don't want to see a situation where AEW's got all of the stars because you get to a point like WCW circa 98, early 98, before it all really started to go to hell. And the way that they loaded up for, uh, you know, when they had Thunder coming in. And they had guys like Chris Adams that weren't getting used, and John Nord, and guys who had one time been a big deal. And they ended up just being jobbers because, well, somebody's got to be jobbers, right? So I don't want to see anybody in AEW get, you know, relegated to that spot. And if they get too bloated, some good talents are going to be. I want WWE to have, particularly across their multiple brands, I want them to have some top talents that they're using well, and you do too. We're speaking this way not because we hate the, you know, the company or anything like that, 
but because we want it to be something that makes us want to watch it again. I don't even watch it out of habit anymore. Mike Petak, our, our good friend, fellow dignitary, I was talking to him the other night. I still watch Raw out of habit. I said, I used to. I don't hardly anymore. A few minutes I've here and there. Yeah, a few minutes here and there is, is all I can take before I'm basically wanting to pull my hair out. I just can't deal with well, the stupidity. My, my friends and I, and you know all of them, that yes. I have uh, fun, watched fun them people. over the years, fun are people. I should add you to a little group so you probably enjoy it. Fun but, people. <laughs> um, my, my, uh, my, my friends in our little wrestling chat group, like, we all watch on, um, uh, we all watch on YouTube, and it was funny, uh, my buddy uh, Adam, Adam was like, he sent a message Exactly. I mean, it, it 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 boggles the mind that anybody would want to do that because it's it's all just fifty fifty booking. If somebody goes over one week, you know the rematch the next week is going to go the other way. It's going to be garbage gimmicks. It's the worst kind of wrestle crap type stuff. And the legitimate talent. I, I, I dare say it's worse than what WCW. Is. Here's here's the comparison I'm going to make, Jake Digman. Here, you're going to love this one. I always used to say that TNA Wrestling was a tribute promotion to the dying days of WCW, late 99 to 01, and WWE, especially Raw, has become a tribute promotion to TNA. That's how I see it. Oh, wow. Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You're a... Rick Morris is pulling out, he just pulled out the big gun and fired right now and going, pew, pew. I am. I am. It, it's horrible. It I, is... As, as great as AEW is, that's how garbage their product is. Because And here's the thing. It's not like they don't have within their own system the talents to be able to make these things happen. You and I used to envision back in the day, you know, I remember having a conversation with you at one point. Like, man, when they call up Undisputed Era, you know, if they do like an outsider type invasion angle on Raw or SmackDown, think of all the good you could get out of that. Well, we'll never mm-hmm. see that because you got Bobby Fish gone from the company altogether. That means there'll never be a reunion unless they call him back and him being age 44. He doesn't meet that uh, edict, apparently. So, undisputed and error. Adam Cole, who's, you know. Adam Cole, who's the hottest, about to be the hottest girl at the dance. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, and uh, again, here's the thing. He loves Triple H and Shawn Michaels and idolizes them and loves working with them, but... He's out from underneath their protection the minute he leaves, uh, t, uh, the, the, you know NXT. And oh, by the way, not like they could you know protect him that well if he stayed in NXT anyways. Based on the way that that direction's going and the way that uh, the edicts are coming in from Stanford about uh, what's going to happen with uh, NXT and it's all going to be the big gym dummies now. And when you're talking about bigger bodies overall, it's just all the more you know incomprehensible that Bronson Reed gets released. You know, a guy who's got, you know, the larger-than-life body, albeit, yes, you know, you know, I'm not saying it's all muscular, but, you know, they've had bigger bodies there like that. I mean, one-man gang kind of things, and he's a lot more mobile than one-man gang ever was. So I, I just don't really understand uh, that right. whole, yeah, or Akeem, if you want to go that direction, whatever you want, whatever you know him by. And, uh, again, just they have talents you know, whether it be Gargano, whether it be, you know, Ciampa, they have talents that could be really, really big. And again, Ricochet. I remember 
when Ricochet was in NXT, and I think, like, The Rock was tweeting at him, like, you know, this guy could be the next big thing in this company, as though Rock, by force of will, could, you know, <laughs> break through their stupidity and whatever and get them to feature him like he was featured in uh, Lucha Underground as Prince Puma. But, uh, I mean, they have the guys there who could really do this. Finn Balor is somebody that could get a look on SmackDown, but he's probably just going to end up getting fed to Roman Reigns in the end. Cesaro, they acted serious about him for two seconds for the first time since he'd been there earlier this year. And then that basically went away. And oh, by the way, then, and then he turned around and jobbed out to uh, uh, Seth Rollins in the blow-off match for that feud. So it just, just on and on and on as far as the inability, the unwillingness to break outside of their own mold. And, and, and when I say they, I guess I mean he, Vince McMahon's mold of what is a star. And his own narrow-mindedness leads to this focus, all the idiotic humor, quote-unquote, that gets featured on there because all the writers are creating, you know, poop jokes for, for one, you know, an audience of one, if you will. And it's just, it's the poison of, of Vince and his senility and all of this kind of crap that has been there, let's face it, the better part of the last 20 years. But it's just getting worse and worse and worse now. And we're looking at a situation where, and I've seen this comparison made in the last week, NXT, welcome back the days of WWECW. And I don't even mean the original in 06, which was pretty swank until Rob Van Dam and Sabu got popped for weed, because it was pretty cool until that point. But the version of it... Uh, isn't that so sad? That's, yeah. That's what killed it. <laughs> it, it was. And I, I can tell you, as somebody that went to Ohio University, I'm guessing that they were popped for Meigs County Gold, if you will. Uh, down there in Southern Ohio, uh, specifically. But uh, the version of WWE CW that people remember from the dying years of it, and I think that's about what we're about to see here, of where it's just going to be strictly developmental, really green guys. And uh, uh, the uh, they were saying on the Matt Men podcast, and this is not a surprise whatsoever, that some of the USA net, uh, officials there, some of the TV folks, they're not necessarily the happiest. Nobody's willing to go on the record about this, but it's kind of like, hey, we were promised this kind of a show here and a show that you know could, could try to get some you know things going in the ratings and whatever, and now you're going to move away from the name value of the guys that have been here that people know and move to these greener guys and whatever. And Look, if I was at USA, I wouldn't be really happy with that either because it is a little bit of a kind of a bait-and-switch if you move towards a really developmental territory and a bunch of green guys. I completely agree with you. And in USA, you have also got to be taking it back, keep kind of looking at stuff going, okay, they gave WWE the out with the whole um, NHL contract or whatever it was. That's why they're moving on the Tuesdays. No, they were moving on the Tuesdays, so they weren't competing with AEW. Right. Because that way they weren't competing between two of the same fan base. Right. Because NXT was the WWE's, as you call, like to call them, the super indie. Yes. The like, hardcore fan base. I mean, we drove out to Warren, Ohio to watch the super indie fed, you know? Yes. Because it didn't feel like WWE. It was like, okay, this is the future. All we got to do is wait until Vince is gone. And yeah, the future's going to be good. Future's never coming. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, unfortunately, I think Vince is going to live to be 107, and he's going to work until he's 107. <laughs> we're going to see Goldberg wrestling in the title matches till then. I mean, it's just, they have completely missed the boat on what 
made that brand so successful. It was a niche thing where, like, I remember the days, I'm sure you do as well, where it's like, okay, we have to watch. I, I love how you said this might be the last great takeover we have to see, and I think you're absolutely correct. I mean, and I'm, uh, we'll get into that when we break down these shows here shortly, but, you know, it used to be takeover was must-see TV for wrestling fans. It was the, okay, let's see who's going to show up. I remember when Adam Cole showed up and it was like, oh my God. I remember Drew McIntyre sitting in the audience, Bobby Roode sitting in the crowd, you know, Ricochet. And he wasn't even called Ricochet. They called him Trevor Ricochet Man. Yes. You know, just to give that, like, more authentic and, like, that crowd was like, oh my God. And there was a reason why they got, we, we got Bailey versus Sasha at, NXT TakeOver Brooklyn because it felt like it was something different. It was like the taboo thing from the WWE machine and the cog and the norm. But the unfortunate part is Grandpa found out about what we were doing in the basement and he done put a stop to that. Well, yeah, exactly. And all good things must come to an end. Right? And it's like, and what are you going to do? Tell the guy who's the insane CEO? I, I, I still to this day swear to God that if Vince McMahon wasn't the chairman of the WWE, he'd be in jail for something. Yeah. <laughs> like, I would agree. Like, he just happened to be in the right place, the right person to take over in that situation, and he is... There's a reason why I'm not going to get political, but there's a reason why him and uh, and and um, the previous president are friends. Sure, they I mean very similar personality traits. Oh, they're the same guy. And the reason why they can do business together because of those similar personality traits, and they can feed off of those to each other. Yes, and I don't ever foresee Vince McMahon unless. You were going to, and I'm sure we'll get into this, unless you're going to give him a substantial amount of money that's going to take care of him and his children. I don't see a scenario where he's ever going to, as long as he is cognitively aware of his surroundings, let go of control. And unfortunately, as because of that, as you just described, and you just gave me nightmares of thinking of like the developmental ideas of 06. Yeah. That were just Ugh. awful. Yes. Ugh. The lost generation. Ugh. Yeah. It's like, oh, God, there's like, God bless Drew McIntyre. And, you know, Cody Rhodes got out of that somehow. But uh, it's like, there's, it was just, hey, here's just gigantic muscular greenhorn. Put him out there. Heidenreich, anybody? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just, you know, and and, God bless you, Snitsky. I'm sure I hear you're a really great guy, but Snitsky, <laughs> you know. Well, and, like, you know, lactating Nathan Jones and all these guys. And Oh, by the way, guess, like, oh. guess who had a cup of coffee in uh, Deep South back in the day? Kenny Omega. They let him get away, and they promoted the gym dummies. Uh, well, you know. Keita calls him No Neck Omega, which I don't know why. So he just said in my head, Good old No Neck Omega. Well, you know. Kenny Omega to me is how you described Roman Reigns to you. Kenny Omega is one of those people that everybody says to me is great, and I've seen him do stuff with other people, but I've yet to see what makes him really so great. So I'm not exactly, I mean, he is—he's good, and he can wrestle good matches. But he is—I 
know. He's just always like, he's like the little brother to the AJ Styles and the CM Punks that is never as good, but as long as they're not around, you'll never notice. Well, okay, that's interesting. And, and listen, I mean, different strokes for different folks. And, you know, I'm fond of some guys that, you know, some other people aren't as well. So, you know, that's how that works. It is. I don't dislike him. I don't like, right. you know, I don't hate him or anything. Oh, right. I just don't think, I don't think he's as, I don't think he's as grandiose as others do, I guess. Well, right, right. And I just, I mean, and that's that's kind of how I feel about, I don't think there's as big of a hardcore following for McIntyre or Lashley, but uh, for, for the folks who I are... Agree. For the folks who are into them, I feel the same way about them of, like, I just don't get it to that level at least. But, you know, let me just say this, though, about what you said there, because I want to circle back around to the sale before we look at these two cards specifically, and that being that in an alternate universe here, because, again, Vince McMahon Jr., Vincent K. McMahon, whatever you want to call him, in the 70s, had to work his way up. This wasn't a thing of like, oh, he was his father's, you know, you know, beloved, uh, you know, son, heir apparent. Now, this is a guy that grew up in a trailer park with his mom, who the dad had to kind of, you know, work to take a shine to, if you will. You know, it wasn't, you know, a thing of where there was this immediate bond and, oh, sonny boy, someday all this will be yours. You know, and that uh, Vince Jr. was uh, helping to promote, I think it was a couple of the Evil Knievel specials back in the 70s. Yes. So he always wanted to do this, okay? But there's an alternate universe where something happens and the WWF doesn't pass into his hands and he's out there, I would assume, starting up, whether it be an outlaw company to go head-to-head in some of these territories or whatever, but where he's having to do it on his own as opposed to uh, doing it with the history and the machinery of the WWF behind him uh, and then eventually taking it national. We could see the same kind of thing because, Jake, you had referred to this before, and it, there was the future we always anticipated where uh, he takes over for Papa Vince and he uh, institutes the NXT vision on a bigger scale, and that's looking like a world that's never going to come one way or another just because that vision uh, if, if it becomes WWECW, uh, then uh, that's not the vision that he had for NXT along with Shawn Michaels. So it could be a thing. I've seen people joking about this, about Hunter in a couple of years, uh, scraping up capital to go start a Fed somewhere uh, that he would run. And who knows, could be outside the uh, tent. And it could be, and, and again, will there be a non-compete if this comes to pass, but the notion of a sale. And I hear everything that everyone is saying on this, and I, I believe Russell Nomics has been pushing this for a while, or, or you know, the notion that it looks like this. I understand that by all indications, everything WWE is doing, it makes it look like they're clearing the books for a sale. And, and I've been through corporate takeovers. I've been through more than one, and I, I understand the whole notion of clearing the books and making things look good for the incoming buyer and that WWE is doing what they have never done historically, which is, I mean, they're firing guys in the midst of programs. I mean, Tyler Rust comes in as a diamond mine, diamond mine, diamond mine. They're running promos for weeks, and they've now S-canned a guy from the diamond mine within a month of debuting the faction. They never used to do this kind of stuff. It, it at least makes me understand why when Adam Cole, when the word came out about his contract being almost up, and I was like, why did they job Bronson Reed to a guy whose contract is just about up? Oh, because they're going to cut Bronson Reed. Okay. 
That's a guy that was just recently North American champion that was getting pushed very heavily. They've never done this. They've never pushed guy or cut people that they have been pushing on TV until now. All of this looks like it's pointing towards a sale. It does. But what I come back to at the end of the day is Vince has never been a guy who it's been like, damn it, if I can get $5 billion for it, I'll cash out. This is a guy who doesn't really take vacations away from this who he's got to, you know, have like a medical emergency to miss Raw or SmackDown for a week. Of Like, this is what he lives for. What What's his hobby? This is his hobby and his, you know, profession and his everything. So the notion that Vince McMahon would willingly hand over his company to somebody else to put their creative vision on it while he goes off and what, plays shuffleboard in Florida? It's the Bear Bryant thing. He'll be dead in 30 days if he does that. I just, I... I don't see it. And it's a thing where, and optimistically, it might be better for the future of the company. Although, then again, do you get to a scenario, ironically, where it's like early 90s WCW, where it's all a bunch of suits handling it without much of a background in wrestling? I mean, and would that would, would, would Jim Hurd era WCW be better than what we're seeing now? God help me, but you know what? I'd take WCW of 90, 91, or 93, three of the worst years ever. I'd take it over this slop. G- give me Rick Jim Hurd. Rick Mars, Rick Mars, you've lost your effing mind. <laughs> give me the Jim Hurd era over you, this crap. You want the ding-dongs? <laughs> I want the ding-dongs. You are the dudes? I, well, I guess. I, 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 guess I want... Wait, hang on. This could be the vengeance of Johnny, one half of the dynamic dudes. Oh, good good connection. It goes full circle. Jake (laughs) Digman, I'm going to go a step further. I want the ding-dongs. I want the hunchbacks who can't be pinned. I want all of that stuff over what we're seeing now. Because you at least had Prime Era, Ric Flair, and some of these other guys in there. Yeah, but, but here's the catch. You're not going to get Prime Era, Ric Flair, and you're not going to get all these other guys. Well, that's the, that's the, yeah, that's the problem. You're, you're not. And the thing of it is, is that in looking at what's there now, and again, that you could look at it in a way of where, you know, Vince might be tempted to cash out. And looking at it, if he had any sense of how bad the future was going to be in terms of their inability to create stars and where they're at right now, if he had the kind of perception that you and I are bringing to this conversation, he'd be looking to cash out. As long as he could find the suckers to do it, and those suckers would probably be at NBC Universal to put it under the Peacock banner once and for all, then that would probably be it. But he, A, he's, he has no idea of how bad it is and how bad the future might be, and B... Honestly, that's like admitting that AEW beat him. Because isn't it going to look like AEW ran him out of the business? Even if they're at an all-time high financially, AEW won the Wednesday Night War. They've got all the hot upcoming stars. And honestly, we've never seen anything like this, Jake. I'm going to go back in history here. Because even when the NWO was at its peak, 96, 97, beginning of 98, when they were dominating WWF during the, what was it? Yes, 83 weeks. You know what? The WWF still had Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, The Undertaker, uh, Mankind, when, when he was really starting to heat up, okay? There wasn't the imbalance of star power during the Monday Night Wars that there is now. There's a real imbalance in star power between the two companies, Jake. Two things. Number one, to go back on the um, comment you just made about uh, uh, 
Vince McMahon and not being able to, like, you know, see the future or him unwilling or unknowing what's going to happen in the future. He's the one that has kiboshed all of these people that would have been stars for him. Yes. If you look at all of the people that are, not all of them, you've got the ones that were also, like, you know, you got you, you have the Bucks and Omega and Adam Page. Yep. And a handful of others, right? Yep. The rest worked for him at one point. Right. And he was just like, that's oh, my mission or no mission. It's like, so, as far as, like, you know, him not selling out, I think he may smartly look at it and realize, like, okay, crap. <laughs> you know? He's going up against kids he's created. True. Like, it, 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 but they're getting a chance to, like, you know, it's the thing where the same thing that Vince was once praised for in the Attitude Era is the same thing that's now is his detriment, and it's him. Yeah. Because he's not the guy that, you know, was in his mid-40s that was hip to the scene of what was going on, and he envisioned Stone Cold Steve Austin as himself. Now he's like the real-life pro wrestling Mr. Potter. He's just sitting there angry and like, you know, grr, grr. I mean, I don't know. I did kind of, I did kind of laugh when he came out. It's the first thing that he said when he came out on SmackDown. Because I mean, what else have been to say? Other than where the hell have you been? Well, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's actually what I um, it, it, uh, what I would have personally usually <laughs> would say. <laughs> so there's that. And then you mentioned you mentioned earlier about you know the thing was like 83 weeks in the Attitude Era. Here's something that I completely forgot about, and I don't know if you forgot about this too, but like. It just, over time, it just kind of hit me. So, everybody talks about, like, you know, the NWO and the rise of the NWO and the NWO movement and um, that happening at Bash of the Beach, 19, at Bash of the Beach 96, right? Yeah. And the WWF's counter to that was what? Ultimate the Warrior. And, what's that? They brought in the Warrior right about the time of the NWO. Okay, correct. However, the thing that got... Um, the WWF out of the losing slump, I guess you could say, was Stone Cold Steve Austin, correct? When they eventually got behind him. And the roots of it were, yes. ironically, uh, Austin 316 actually happened before the words at New World Order were ever spoken. Yes. yes. And I completely forgot about that. Yeah. I was listening to a thing up to a someone's podcast recently, and they were talking about like on the you know King of the Ring nineteen ninety six, and I'm like, wow, Austin three sixteen happened like a month before the NWO. Yes. But in your brain, when you think it in hindsight, you just kind of like remember things as the end because of the way. Again, this goes back to the way the WWE has pitched things. Yeah. Is that the NWO was steamrolling, and all of a sudden Stone Cold showed up, and it was like, like for some reason, I always kind of imagined at '97, but no, that was Triple H, and just one of those kind of like the thing that made WCW happened a month later than the thing that happened that made the WWE and allowed them to go public. 